the hell? Well, how? Take me, take me back to your place. Take me, take me back to your place. Don't say no, sons. Now there is no reason. You're a jackass. Sexy and smart. Hey, uh, I have a great guest on this week. Um, I know him simply because of location, <laughs> proximity. I have on with me Dr. George Bino Rucker. Um, Dr. Rucker is a medical uh, physician that went to uh, college and medical school at University of Virginia. He trained in surgery, oncology, and urology at Sloan Kettering and Cornell Medical Center in Manhattan. He practiced conventional urology for 12 years in Manatee and Lakewood Ranch. And for the past six years, he's focused on integrative medicine, functional medicine, and regenerative medicine. Thanks for coming on, Bina. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. <laughs> so um, uh, it's, it's funny because a lot of people... Um, you know, I would normally call you Dr. Rucker, but since we're more on a friend basis, um, uh, I'm going to just call you Bino, but it's, it's funny because most of your patients call you Bino too. Yeah. I'd say we've tried to create an informal environment so people can be themselves. That's the best way to try to understand what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's good. So tell me a little bit about more about your practice and the, and the functional integrative and uh, regenerative medicine fields? Well, I think one thing that's, uh, that's important to state is how did I discover this as an entity? And it was uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours. He was a chiropractor. I took the time as a medical doctor to understand what the chiropractors were doing in this space. And there was uh, a group of uh, chiropractors under Karajan, as you know, that that name and people like that, that were, I thought they were doing amazing things in the field of medicine that are un, unknown to conventional medical doctors, even down to understanding thyroid management in a manner that conventional MDs don't understand it. Additionally, when I was practicing urology, <clears throat> I'd see a patient maybe that would come in for back pain and low energy, and there could be a fleck on their x-ray that indicated a kidney stone. I'd see it. I'd say, it's not a kidney stone. I'd say, see you later. Of course, the patient would be very frustrated when I just said, it's not in my domain. So what I noticed is I didn't want to practice patchwork medicine where I was just using a microscope and, and honing in on one aspect of their care. I started thinking, well, it doesn't seem fair that I don't understand what's the cause of their back pain. If they don't have a urologic problem, get out of here. So I... That alone was an example of something inspired me to look at the patient as a whole. And then additionally, if you want to understand thyroid management, I'll use one more example that I show the patients all the time. Take a, a simple lab value like TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. The range of normal on the lab test is 0.45 all the way to 4.5. But when you're practicing functional medicine, I like to use the concept of optimal values. So... It's a much narrower scope that conventional doctors don't even deem to be true. So I, I get the advantage of walking both sides of the of the plank and noticing what fits best for the patients, not just you know what fits best for uh, lab companies or drug companies. 
Yeah, the um, people don't understand that those lab values are actually the the point four five and the four point five are actually based off of a sick population. The ten worst in each of of a of a given population, the ten worst on both ends of the spectrum, and that's how those values are actually determined. Those values change. Uh, they change in Sarasota, like we we are in our area. It changes twice twice a year. We usually get them in May and then. Uh, like October or November because our population switches because of uh, snowbirds coming in. So, you know, and then looking at those optimal ranges where the actually absolute healthiest uh, group is, yeah, that makes the the biggest sense. You know, another another example that I bring into play all the time is you look at the vitamin D ranges. It's a essential overlooked aspect of healthcare. The whole range, once again, is 30 to 100. How does that? How does that thirty value? If you're thirty-one, then your doctor's allowed to just say, "Oh, see, you're normal. See you later." And those those are the examples of what has drawn me toward optimizing healthcare in an integrative manner for the patients. Yeah, I've seen people with like a 30, 35, actually operate pretty good. I would rather see them higher, but then I've seen people with a seventy and still feel like crap, and we have to give them a little bit more, and then they actually get a better boost. So. Yeah, I, I get what you're. I get what you're saying too. Um, what do you think's wrong with conventional medicine these days? I think, in in a nutshell, the number one feature that's wrong is the important influence of corporate interest groups. This includes device companies, pharmaceutical companies, even uh, hospitals, and the immense power given to healthcare companies being the middlemen in providing healthcare. They've stripped the healthcare providers of common sense, and they've stripped the patients of of their rights and also common sense. Patients will blindly follow the great, huge, miraculous marketing machine that's Orwellian in that sense. It it can instill concepts and concepts into people's unconscious that they need to have this one product, despite the fact it can cause you you know, a whole host of side effects that they can just blur right through in the ads and people still want to take X, Y, or Z product. So that's the number one problem is those outside influences that don't really concern, don't really care about the holistic well-being of the patrons. Yeah, I think they're just looking more for a long lifetime term patient that they can actually get more money off of or soak, soak as much out as they can. I don't think it's the physician's fault's. Uh, necessarily, I think it's just mainly it's just well one, the pharmaceutical. I think the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical industry has integrated so self so much into the um, med school that it, it almost it's so integrated and so intertwined right now that that's that's become the problem part of the problem. You know, one thing that I think, and then I, I, you could call this corollary number two. I think the field of conventional medicine hides behind a very fascinating concept, and that is they hide behind peer-reviewed literature and double-blind studies. So everything's based on double-blind studies. If you go look up uh, the open-source journal PLOS1, P-L-O-S-1, you can read, re read an interesting paper about how double-blind studies are practically worthless. And that's, for instance, how come the predominance of statin use and all kinds of problems. So... Conventional medicine wants to use double-blind studies to hide behind, but everything else is uh, not provable if you don't have $2 million in double, you know, it actually takes more money to do studies. So that's how come the corporate lobbying interests have so much power because what they 
find as their acceptable standard of care is rooted in a lot of money that it takes. And then they could run 10 trials and just pick the two that sound the best and provide that data. That's amazing. Yeah, that's well. That's how we got in this. That's how we got into the cholesterol myth and all that. Because Ansel Keys, <clears throat> Ansel Keys, back in the fifties, cherry picked information and left out countries showing uh, low carb versus uh, uh, high carb um, diets and showing or low fat versus high carb or yeah high fat. That's right. High fat versus high carb diets and showing the information. And it just kind of skewed it. And then we've been off on this tangent for 50 years that cholesterol is the bad guy. And the studies actually have always shown that 50% of people with good cholesterol have heart attacks and 50% of people with bad levels of cholesterol have heart attacks. So um, why are you such an advocate for ozone therapy? Or first talk about ozone therapy because a lot of people don't really know that much about it. Yeah, that, That's a great uh, question. When, as I, going back to my background, when I did start understanding the world of integrative medicine and functional medicine, uh, one of my friends suggested, why don't I start going to some conferences and studying what medical doctors do in the field? And I went to a conference in San Diego, and Dr. Robert Rowan was the uh, teacher, and he was teaching us vitamin C protocols, all kinds of cool ideas. And he said, I'm going to share with you a game-changing concept, and he showed us a lot of videos and testimonials of him using ozone on his patients, whether it was IV ozone in the form of autohemotherapy, uh, rectal insufflation of ozone, and uh, the one that's most frequently used in my practice is injecting it into musculoskeletal injuries, whether it neck injuries, shoulder injuries, hip injuries. It has an immense powerful healing effect, and it's because it's a charged form of oxygen. It causes direct healing of nerve tissue, and it also reacts with the body and causes uh, changes in signaling mechanisms so the body can heal itself instead of masking injuries such as cortisone or agents like that. I, I, can, I can attest to this because um, he actually injected my hip twice. The first time I had hip pain for 12 years, I injected it. I will say it hurt like hell <laughs> at, at first, but it just it, it intensified, but immediately... I lifted my leg where that morning I couldn't lift my leg more than two inches off the ground. I lifted it like two feet off the ground, no problem, and it did hurt. And then the next day, it felt better. Now, can you tell me or tell the listeners why um, some people get increased pain, some people get pain relief right away? Um, you know, I think that is a attestation to how we're all very complicated um, organisms or creatures, if you will. We have different types of response to injury. Each of us have a unique circumstance, how our nerves are handling the injury, and then we have a unique response to different substances. Ozone does have a certain type of irritating quality to it, so it's because it has charged electrons. That's what the oxygen is. It has the ability to donate electrons very, um, very powerfully, and that electron donation in a percentage of patients feels painful, but that's pretty uh, temporary pain. The worst I'll see is the patient will have pain all the way till the next day, and it's it feels like an expansion, like gas is expanding in that area, or kind of like a, a deep ache that simulates or mimics the original injury, and I do think that's part of the process of training your body to to heal. Is, yeah, that's what I experienced. You can go on. Sorry. Oh, no, no, that's odd. And matter of fact, uh, you know, one of my favorite hobbies, and I know Dr. Uh, Stringer used to do a little of this, is jiu-jitsu, so... 
myself and the different jujitsu players get lots of injuries uh, frequently. So even I have a I've, I have a hip. I'm gonna have my uh, nurse treat later today. So if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I've gotten experience it personally many times. Uh, um, he's talk, talking to me to go back into jiu-jitsu, so I may have to have a punch card, frequent punch card for, for shots. Uh, but, you know, I will say, like, yeah, it was uh, achy the next day, but the day after that, the first time in 12 years, I went, like, two weeks with it, and then I asked you to do it again. And right now, I only feel it when I have, like, when I prolong sit is the only time I feel it. And so uh, probably need one or I would think like one or two maybe more. yeah you know i don't think anything out there is any form of a miracle cure but i find people that take anywhere from one to sometimes you need six injections i get a 90 percent result of uh, of healing and then one one last thing to add is i also do use it intravenously and that's for patients with very severe immunocompromised states whether it's they're trying to maximize their immune system in you know, battles against different viruses or even uh, cancer. And uh, ozone and vitamin C intravenously and Myers cocktail intravenously, these are all things we use in our practice to, to help with these kind of immune state insults. Yeah, they're fantastic therapies for that. What other therapies do you do besides the those? Well, then I guess I can gloss over things and anything you want me to highlight, I'm happy to. So in our practice, we use the hyperbaric chamber quite frequently. We just installed an infrared sauna. I, I have seen lots of data about you know raising that body temperature and using the infrared uh, energy. It, it helps with patients with even heart disease and helps with immune system insults, just like I was describing. And uh, as Sean has seen and knows, I use a whole host of different supplements that I value like I, I value vitamin B3, either niacinamide or raw niacin, which causes intense flush. I use a lot of mushroom compounds in the practice. We use um, hyaluronic acid. We ask patients to take that. When I have my patients take vitamin D3, I have a, a form, formulation that we help create that has D3 and K2 in it. Not many patients realize K2 is a very important cofactor that helps vitamin D3 turn on the proper pathway so you don't um, place calcium in the parts of the body you don't want to, like the kidneys or into heart disease tissue. So it helps regulate that. And then another uh, prescribed compound we use in our practice that you could research, it has phenomenal widespread usage is low-dose naltrexone. And we also offer bioidentical hormone therapy for men and women. So these are all different modalities used in our practice. And uh, you recently got in the field of medical marijuana as well. Oh yeah, I, how can I overlook that? That's a that's an important one that we've been utilizing uh, very successfully. And then uh, another entity that we've been providing with excellent success. It's a nascent aspect of my practice is intravenous ketamine. So I've been using that in cases of re uh, refractory depression and refractory anxiety. So you've been seeing great results with that, right? Yeah. So we've done about five patients in a row, and we've got a 100% track record on how happy these patients are. It's a very interesting, novel treatment. Why do you think that these therapies that you are utilizing right now aren't utilized more mainstream? I, it, it harks back to the initial part of our conversation. Most uh, medical doctors and patients alike, they want things presented to them on an quote-unquote advertising platter. So if the conventional drug companies are advertising it after they put it through 
millions of dollars of trials and go through the FDA approval process, then it's protected by a patent. Boom, it arrives in the doctor's office in the form of, you know, drug company pens or pretty looking people in the waiting room. They they pitch their wares and, you know, they, they kind of stroke the back of the doctor's hair and tell him how much of an expert he is and how he can, you know, do a paid speaking engagement. And boom, there you have it. For instance, today, I don't, I'm not getting paid for this. This is a, this is a passion of mine and Dr. Stringer's. No one has to convince me to share the knowledge that I've gained. And no one sits in my waiting room to bring me an idea. I don't follow any corporate interest. Nothing that I mentioned has a corporate interest or patent in that spiel of things we use. So it's, I'd say it's contrarian thinking, which is very valuable in almost all aspects of society, and it's become vastly overlooked. Um, are any of these therapies covered by insurance? Uh, I'd almost say, from from my recollection, zero of them are that I went over. Some of the hormonal stuff, a little bit of the IV stuff, and that leads to a good question. Why? Yeah. Well, it's back to that tie-in. Insurance companies are you know, in cahoots with the hospital administrations, they're in cahoots with the drug companies. So those three, you could call it almost an evil triad. I try, you know, I hate to sound too dramatic or conspiracy oriented, but it doesn't take many times of a patient to look at their hospital bill and question why did the Tylenol cost $80 when they can run across the street to Walgreens and get it for two. I mean, you look at your hospital bills and you'll be astonished at the fake game that's being played out there. And so it's all about patent medicines, patented devices, and padding the the balance sheet so the next quarterly report is great for the uh, big pharmaceutical companies and the shareholders. And so Wall Street and the triad, th- there's why these kind of treatments aren't covered and they're not um, offered more widely either. You know, one discussion I had with somebody over the weekend was, um, you know, I had this do- these doctors walking in my in my room when I was in the hospital. I didn't know who the hell they were and what they were doing. They, and they were the hospitalists. They were on staff, and you know, you'd see like four of them in a row. All they do is read over your over your file and then sign it and walk out. And then all of a sudden, there's your charge on you know your bill for this person that all they did is read over your record. They didn't they didn't do anything as it pertained to your care. And that that's an absolutely valid point. I saw that many times in the hospital, and the hospital creates a combative environment because their goal is to get the patient out. It's crazy. It's not to get the patient better. It's to get them out safely so that no one gets sued. Yeah. And there's a, and I know uh, I have friends that work in the hospitals that are actually chiropractors back in, in Minnesota that work in the hospitals, and they have to have a certain amount of um, credits towards their billing on a monthly basis. Otherwise they get docked part of their pay or if they go over a certain amount, then they get bonus more. So like it's all, it's, it's so funny how this is such a financial game and, uh, and it's not in your best interest. I know, I don't think it's in the patient's best interest. Mo, uh, some of it, at least on the financial end is. So, um, What's what do you think's your biggest struggle dealing with uh, the healthcare industry or in your share of the healthcare industry? Like, what's your biggest struggle? I think uh, you kind of covered it in the last question a little bit, which is a lot of the things we do aren't covered by different uh, health 
health interests. So one big struggle is having the patients understand that there's almost a, a higher value to something that they cherish and have to have to pay for in their lives. And I equate that to the difference between eating at a, a, a boutique custom made restaurant or just going to McDonald's and buying something for two dollars. You're gonna value and savor that thirty dollar meal than more than the two dollar meal. So in that sense you need to value and savor and care about your own health. Now Another aspect of the frustration is getting this message out in a more widespread manner that these kind of modalities exist. They're very powerful, and despite the fact that they're not covered, if the patients look at their own wallet in a sensible manner, it would be much more of a, a financially cost-effective solution to, to care about your nutrition, your own exercise, and to pay attention to the fact that medications really aren't designed to take care of chronic issues. I always say, great, if, if I get hit by a truck and I got a broken leg, absolutely take me to the office. Don't take me to the acupuncturist. Let them sew up my wound. Let them set my bone. But then long term, don't let them put me on an opioid so that you know, I don't have to come and detox and something two years later when you know I have to be on disability. So acutely, these interventions do have a role, but they have a... a a vastly uh, wrongly instituted powerful role in chronic care. And that's what is another frustration that people like lemmings, lemmings are that creature that will just follow the other guys right off the cliff. A lot of people will act like the lemming and just do what, you know, the conventional triad wants them to do instead of learning for themselves the power of a nutrition exercise self-care, proper supplements, and then even some of these esoteric therapies, how powerful they are and how well aligned they are with our natural existence as opposed to synthetic chemicals that were strictly created just to fatten someone's wallet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people need to learn and understand the value of themselves and invest in themselves and really take that take that step into um, uh, working with their health because prevention prevention is is so much cheaper on in the long run it may seem more expensive up front but yeah if i go get an oil change and get my my filter done and all those things that might seem expensive at that time but the longer my car lasts without me having to replace an engine and all that that is where the value comes in further down the line because you're going to save 10 Hundred hundred fold the money if you just actually spent that money on prevention. What's your greatest strengths? I guess my greatest strength is the ability to think outside of the box because I went to conventional medical school. My all my training's been conventional, but ironically, one of the one of the greatest subjects I took at the University of Virginia was anthropology, and anthropology was founded in essence by Margaret Mead and Ruth Benedict and they basically wrote books talking about studying other cultures and the concept of anthropology is no one culture is superior to another culture and this the whole field is, in some essence was created in response to uh, Hitler's ideas to wipe out different cultures because his culture was a uber culture so what is my point is this relates to medicine well out of the box is admitting that other cultures have ideas that work, and we're not the best. So the way Chinese do it, where the 
ancient Ayurvedic practices in the jungles of Brazil. They're all valid. They're keeping their patients alive. They don't spend $200,000 in the ICU in the last month of their care or, you know, and bankrupt their citizenry. citizenry. So I guess to, in order to be out of the box, there has to be a certain level of humility to say, I don't know all the answers. So that may be my greatest strength that I just, you know, I feel like I only understand 1% of the puzzle. So I'm always trying to search for that other 99%. That's cool. That's one of the things I like about you. Watch, watching you around the office and being able to and seeing that with you has has been really cool. Um, what advice would you give a younger self? I would give my younger self the the basic advice of patience. That life is not a sprint; it's a it's an absolute marathon. So any frustrations along the way, don't put too much energy in trying to change the course of something. So I look at my own career, you know, all the times I used to be frustrated with all those corporate interest groups and how they, you know, basically they just treat they treat the process of medicine and physicians like, you know, a rickety little boat. They don't mind throwing it all across the rocks and from shore to shore. But ultimately, you have to learn that you have to flow with that river. And that that takes patience. And, you know, I. One quote that I like was Rudyard Kipling said when he used to hit writer's block and he didn't know what to do. He said he would sit, drift, wait, and obey. So that's that's the concept of patience, that there's information and ideas and pathways coming to us if if we just patiently let them unfold instead of trying to steer the process, which involves our egos and fear. So that's the advice I'd give my younger self. Cool. Very, very cool. How can how can listeners get a hold of you? Well, I think one simple manner is using our phone number. So Dr. Rucker is my name, and our phone number is 941-448-1199. We're, we're in the process of revamping our, our website, and it will be uh, info at ozone ozonedoc.com, but you know that's not up and uh, running yet. So I think the simplest way is to use our telephone number. They can also look on YouTube because you guys have a ton of videos on YouTube. So look up Dr. Rucker on uh, uh, on YouTube, and you'll actually see a ton of. There's probably there's well over a hundred. On I there. think we're bordering on a hundred, and many of them are patients who have been so kind as to share what they're doing in their own healthcare. So. That's really nice to get to see actual people getting these mysterious treatments and doing well. I know Dr. George Bino Rucker and myself can say, trust me, I'm a doctor. Now, if you listen to the show, do me a huge favor and rate it. One star would be okay, but five stars would be effing awesome. Become a part of the show and interact interact with me at anchor.fm slash doc. There you can leave a comment, ask a question, tell me how the show has helped you, and give me some feedback. It's all cool. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snap at Doc Stringer. You can also check out my website and see how just adorably cute I am at BodyMindDoc.com. And one last thing, make sure to tell your social networking friends, the ones you know and the ones you never even met before. And I don't even know why they're your friends in the first place. Why are they your friends? Um, You can let them know about me too. Again, that's this has been another episode of Trust Me, I'm a Doctor. And until next time, my podcast is peace.